I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. The Premier League is now officially on World Cup half term and it has been a cracker of a sign off this weekend. All teams in action as Qatar is put on the back burner for at least a few more days until the Premier League finally returns on Boxing Day. No holding back despite the potential of World Cup ending injuries in the last 24 hours, but no change at the top either as Arsenal move five points clear. The Gunners' 2-0 win at Wolves features in part one of tonight's show as Ivan Tony offered a little reminder to Gareth Southgate and gave Mikel Arteta an extra boost as Brentford won away at Man City. So that's all to come in part one. In part two, Frank Lampard does not like to be beside the seaside. Another defeat at Bournemouth ramps up the pressure as the travelling Toffees made their feelings known and Lampard looks to be possibly heading for an exit. Elsewhere, Newcastle head off on the World Cup break in third after they won against Chelsea and Alejandro Garnacho's first ever goal in the Premier League means three points for Manchester United at Fulham. And then to wrap up the show, in the final part, there's been no draws this weekend, so it's been a winning weekend for Liverpool, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest and Tottenham and Leicester City loads to get through no draws as I say but the season has screeched to a halt so let's get cracking my name's Fergal Brennan and on the final day of term the shirt that everybody wants to sign is the Manchester Evening News' senior football writer Ty Marshall they're fighting to sign your shirt the uh, the Garnacho of the MEN <laughs> yeah not quite as young unfortunately <laughs> but I just about do remember being 18 <laughs> Were you a shirt signer or a, a shirt signature receiver? Um, probably more of a signer at school, to be honest. Um, yeah, probably more of a signer, unfortunately. OK, fair dues. Uh, alongside Ty, we have a Newcastle fan who probably doesn't want the season to be put on hold. It is sports broadcaster and Watford coach Isha Acton. The Magpies are flying, but they must take a break. Yeah, it's a shame, the timing of the break. I'm having a whale of a time as a Newcastle fan right now. 
Yeah, Newcastle have been incredible in terms of recent form. We're going to be chatting about their 1-0 win over Chelsea a bit later on. And they are third going into the World Cup break. But we're going to kick off with Wolves against Arsenal. Ty, we'll go to you first on this. Two goals from Captain Fantastic Martin Erdegaard and three points in the bag for Arsenal. Five points clear at the top of the table. We're balancing this between the World Cup break, Christmas and New Year. So technically, Arsenal will be top at Christmas. They will be top after Boxing Day, but they're not absolutely certain to be top at the end of 2023. So that's all the, the calendar stuff out of the way. Third weekend in a row that Arsenal about to follow Manchester City and get a win, get an important result. And they did it. And they did it in style. Wolves, we know, will having issues. Julian Lopetegui is not taken over officially just yet but this was exactly the type of performance that Arsenal needed and they've done it again yeah they absolutely have it was a really really assured performance just as it was last week against Chelsea um, just a real sort of professional performance a real composed performance and there is an awful lot to like about them at the moment they, they will be top at, at Christmas that was assured before the game thanks to City losing I was reading earlier that 10 of the last 13 teams top of Christmas have been champions. I'm not sure it's quite as relevant this year, given they've only played 14 games and there's actually six weeks to go until Christmas. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very impressive feat and five points is a good gap, especially when the way they're playing, they don't really look like losing. You think of the one game they've lost away at Man United and they, they were equally as good as United in that game at the very least. And there was a little bit of naivety in the way they went about and, and lost it in the end. And... That doesn't seem to be in their in their makeup at the moment. And I think if that fixture was played now, Arsenal would would probably win it. And, and they have just been extremely impressive. I still think it's a stretch to say they're they're going to win the league. I still think they'll they'll finish some distance behind City. But what they're doing at the moment is is hugely impressive. In the past, Isha, solidity, consistency kind of grinding these results out is not something that you'd associate with Arsenal. That's not been the case so far this season. And there's certain players that have been absolutely ever-present. We know about the attacking talents of Martinelli and Saka and Jesus and the goals and, and brilliant stuff that they can do at one end of the pitch. At the other end, at the slightly more kind of nuts and bolts aspect of the game, they've been excellent. 14 Premier League games so far this season. Gabriel, Ramsdale, Saliba and Ben White have started all 14 Premier League games. They're joint with Newcastle in terms of clean sheets. That's seven each. They've got their joint best defensive record overall with Newcastle. They've got an excellent goal record. They're just behind City, so they're second in that aspect. But at the back, they've been fantastic. Saliba's going to go away to the World Cup. I know Gabriel missed out. Ben White's got a chance of maybe starting for England. Things that we don't associate with Arsenal over the last few seasons are now actually one of their strongest suits. Excellent at the back. They don't give away silly goals. Mentally strong enough to make sure they get clean sheets. This is all adding to this overall picture that the balance is right for a title challenge. Absolutely. They're playing with such great rhythm at the minute. Saka, like you mentioned, of course, he's a star player, but I wouldn't say Arsenal are wholly reliant on the likes of Saka or Martinelli, as great as they are, because 
everybody is just playing their role. The defenders are attacking well, the attackers are defending well. I think the way Liverpool have perfected their balance in recent years, Arsenal are also reaching that level of cohesion and they're building success on that harmony, I think. We, of course, have to acknowledge that solid back line. Four clean sheets in a row. Ben White, he's really impressed me this season. Saliba, like you say, I think he may well be Arsenal's best defender this season, just commanding the high defensive back line. He's a young player. Broadly speaking, I think their success this season, it's quite simply because they're a great unit and they're cohesive because of the way the players just complement each other. And you've got to give credit for good coaching for that. Yeah, and uh, it's impressive again from Arsenal. As we say, the kind of strange aspect of the World Cup break coming in means that we can't officially say that they're top by the end of the calendar year, but Arsenal will be on top of the Christmas tree come uh, Christmas. Fantastic stuff from Arsenal. Right, we're going to move on to Manchester City against Brentford. tie. big shock at the Etihad. City's first home Premier League defeat since February and Ivan Toney cannot keep himself out of the headlines. Missed out on Gareth Southgate's England squad and then he goes to the Etihad. Two goals, a late winner, a very good post-match press conference where he didn't really, you know, kind of throw salt on, on Gareth Southgate but kind of just said... I know how good I am. I've got 10 Premier League goals. I don't really have to prove myself to anyone. But he was sensational for Brentford yesterday. And they came into this not on the greatest run of form, but there is going to be a lot of what-ifs surrounding the World Cup. Players that have been picked, players that have not been picked. But Ivan Tony showed this weekend that, myself included, but anyone that's been pushing for him to be in that World Cup squad are now thinking, wow, he is banging form. Yeah, he really is. He was absolutely sensational yesterday. I don't think we'll be saying in very often this season that, that Ernie Haaland was the second best striker on the pitch, but that was the case. Tony Tony had absolutely everything. He could quite easily have scored five goals. You know, he had five very very big chances. Should have got his hat trick at least um, with with that last that last chance of the game. Just a brilliant brilliant performance. And you know, like you, I would have had him in that squad. He just when you watch him play, he just looks to have something about him he looks his, his the swagger he plays with at the moment you, you know it, I guess it can be construed as arrogance at times I remember watching him as a, as a Shrewsbury fan when he was on loan at Shrewsbury and he was absolutely appalling he was terrible and and he had that swagger then but it, it looked like a lack of effort for Shrewsbury he was that bad and now you watch him and he just he looks like he belongs on the stages like yesterday his, his all-round game is brilliant the amount of times yesterday Brentford went straight from Raya to Tony and, and it was a game plan that worked absolutely brilliantly. Tony's fantastic in the air. Raya's passing, I think, is possibly the best in in the Premier League. I remember Klopp saying after Brentford had played Liverpool last year that he's basically a number 10 in goal and you can see what he means. He was taking every free kick. Even with, I think there was one he took that was even in the City half yesterday and he's landing it on his target every time. Um, I mean, Brentford went straight back to him at kickoff, and he launched a ball to Tony's head, and they had a chance, a decent attack anyway, straight from kickoff. And you kind of joked at the time. I think they kept the ball for 20 seconds, and you joked at the time that's the longest span of possession they'll have all game. But it was a tactic they kept going to, and it just worked brilliantly. And City were City were really poor on the day. That's as as bad I think as they played this season. It did look like they were distracted by the World Cup, but that shouldn't take too much away from Brentford because, as, as Pep Guardiola said after the game, the better team won. And Brentford were definitely the better team with the better chances. Well, Isra, I want to ask you about this 
possible distraction for, for Manchester City because they've not been in top form in the last couple of weeks. You think back to the Kevin De Bruyne wonder goal against Leicester that got them three points. Erling Haaland off the bench to score a penalty in the last minute against Fulham. Yes, that was another win in the bag, but not what we expect from City. And this certainly at home yesterday was not what we expect from Manchester City. Now, the World Cup's coming up. They've got the most players away at the World Cup from any other Premier League team. 16 players as it stands. And the start in 11 yesterday, other than Haaland, the other 10 players are all off to Qatar. So do you think maybe that's been a, a factor for them in the last few weeks? Certainly yesterday, you've got so many players that are less than a week away from joining up with their national teams. And a lot of these players the teams that they'll be playing for in Qatar will be expected to be in the running for knockout places and potentially going on and winning it. Can they maybe be forgiven for having their eye off the ball slightly? Yeah, I mean, that's maybe one way to put it because if you watch a game like that and you see a result like that, I mean, me as a viewer, my first thought is, oh, it's the magic of the Premier League, isn't it? No game is winnable, even for a team with the quality of Man City. Distracted or not, sometimes these things happen. And I think... Brentford, they have taken points from all the top six since their promotion last year. So I just think full credit to their valiant display yesterday. Thomas Frank, he needs to be applauded here. Distractions before Man City head out to Qatar, potentially. If we go back to the game plan, I mean, they executed it really, really well. And Haaland, I mean, they were all over him in the box. It was the first time he failed to have a single shot on target for Man City, right? I just think Brentford, they showed the league that if you go and if you attack Man City with some fight and a decent plan, you can get a result. And it just happened to be on a day where Man City were potentially a little bit distracted. And I think just the amount of players that are going to be away for Manchester City could be decisive in the Premier League title race. Arsenal with eight players away, City, as I mentioned, with 16, Man United with 15, Chelsea with 12 and Spurs with eight. The World Cup is going to have a massive impact on the Premier League title race. Right, we're going to grab a quick break here on the Football Social Daily. After the break, Frank Lampard is sick of the smell of Sierra. Back-to-back defeats away at Bournemouth has hyped up the pressure on him as we approach the Christmas slash World Cup break. Big news for Newcastle. 1-0 win at home to Chelsea as their push for Champions League football continues and Manchester United have another teenage superstar. Garnacho is the name. Scoring goals is the game. All that to come after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, it was table toppers Arsenal. Five points clear in the Premier League title race. Manchester City losing at home to Brentford keeps them in second. Right, we're going to switch across to matters slightly further down the Premier League table. Ty, Frank Lampard, he's not interested in a stick of rock. He hates the feeling of sand between his toes. He's got no interest in salty sea air because Everton are... They don't want to go back to Bournemouth ever again. And who can blame them? Dumped out of the Carabao Cup in midweek and then a 3-0 defeat at Bournemouth yesterday. Gary O'Neill stabilising things and potentially putting himself back in a position to get the Bournemouth job permanently. But from an Everton perspective, one Premier League win in the last seven. It was absolutely toxic at the end of the game. Frank Lampard, Seamus Coleman going over to the away fans. who A lot of them will have made that trip twice in less than seven days the Premier League rule of thumb is normally about five defeats for a mid-table bottom half team before they sack their manager. He's really in danger. And when you look at the teams around them, they've generally followed that. Four of the bottom eight have already sacked their manager this season. Jesse Marsh is under pressure. Steve Cooper's potentially still under pressure. Frank Lampard is right in the middle of that as it stands. Yeah, he, he really is. And, and this run has obviously come at the worst possible time, given they've now got so long to sack him in and get a decent replacement. It's you know, it, it's absolutely terrible timing for him. I, I'm not surprised to see them down there, to be honest. I thought they were, they were fortunate to survive in a way last season. And I don't think that squad's any better. In fact, it's probably worse. So I don't see it as a big surprise. The, the, the surprise to me was that they picked up some decent results at the start of the season and and actually looked to be doing all right. That was that was the bigger surprise to me than seeing where they are now. They they've been poor recently though. They were really poor against Leicester last week and losing seven one to Bournemouth in two games this week is is pretty disastrous. Those scenes at full time looked pretty bizarre. Um, you know the the Everton fans that I've always found them a very they look a very tough crowd to play for. They turn incredibly quickly on their team. They clearly turned on their team a lot yesterday. It seemed that Alex Awobi was getting the brunt of it when he's probably been their best player this season or the best attacking player this season, which seemed pretty bizarre. But there's there's clearly a lot going wrong there yesterday. It was a dreadful, dreadful performance. Things aren't going well for them. You're right, I think, that, that Lampard is going to be under immense pressure. And like I say, it's just the, the timing of it, really. If they don't make a change now and it continues, then... They're really in the meat of the season. When if you take if you sack him and take two or three weeks to get a replacement, then it could you know it, it could become it could become an even bigger issue. And there's obviously no Duncan Ferguson sat next to him now, ready to to take up the reins as caretaker again. So I think he probably will be lucky to survive. But if I'm honest, I don't. I mean, depending on who they get, but I don't think there's a manager out there that's going to propel them much further forward. To be honest, because I just don't think that squad is any better than being in a relegation battle and, and bottom five, bottom six in the Premier League. And, and that's where they are at the moment. Before we move on to Newcastle, Isha, I want to get your take on this because he is under pressure based on the, the bookies odds for the Premier League sack race. He's comfortably top as it stands. We've talked about Everton's form and these performances that they're really struggling to kind of inspire any sort of confidence. They haven't scored in the last three Premier League games and either side have beaten Palace at Goodison Park. The only other goal they've scored in their last uh, <laughs> in their last run of Premier League games was Alex Iwobi, ironically. 
is this the end for Lampard? He, he did save, quote, them from relegation last season, depending on your perspective of the position that they were in. He did still get them out of that mire and they are still a Premier League team. They've never been relegated from the Premier League. But generally speaking, the Premier League decides five, six defeats, you're gone. Will he still be the Everton manager when the Premier League returns on Boxing Day? I don't think he will be. I think the pressure is really intense right now. Yes, he cleaned up some of the mess that he inherited from Benitez for sure, but he currently has a worse win percentage as Everton manager. I'd feel really uneasy if I were an Everton fan. The international break takes us to Christmas, a time of panic typically, you know, relegation talk starts. I know it feels like the season has only just started, but this big chunk of the games we're missing because of the World Cup simply means that the clubs on poor form need to question their fate, how things can turn around, how quickly that needs to be done. With Lampard at Everton, they're 17th in the league standings. They're in danger of a second relegation battle in a row. I think that match against Bournemouth, it was a good opportunity for Everton to just go into the break on a positive. There's a lot going on there. And yes, the team... They need to be more consistent in their attacking play. There's there's other issues, but I think as a whole, Frank Lampard, you know, he publicly publicly criticised the players who lost on the Carabao Cup visit to the um, Vitality Stadium midweek, and the spotlight is on him. It was toxic yesterday. I think if they sack Lampard now, they could use that time effectively leading up to Christmas. If they wait until the new year, I reckon it would be too late. If you just look at the teams around them, there are no solid relegation candidates like there were last season. Okay, Southampton is probably a possibility. Hulan, Lopetegui, he's got work to do at Wolves, but I do think it's a promising opportunity for them to turn things around. Nottingham Forest, they've improved recently, and Bournemouth as well. I think Everton need to act fast from the absolute doldrums and negativity of Everton to the wild optimism of Newcastle. Isha, we've, we've left you back reserved to talking about Newcastle until now, so you can let loose. Newcastle have been absolutely sensational in the last few weeks. Based on the last five games, nobody, including Arsenal and Manchester City, is in better form. Five successive Premier League wins. Absolutely brilliant from Eddie Howe. And a 1-0 win over Chelsea yesterday was a bit of a test for them. I know Chelsea under Graham Potter have not been great. They've been quite mixed in terms of the results that they've been getting, but Chelsea are a seasoned top four or at least top four battler for many, many, many years, which Newcastle have not been. So, you know, think back to the 90s, Kevin Keegan, then Sir Bobby Robson playing in the Champions League, pushing for titles at certain periods during the Premier League era. We can't look into the crystal ball of what is going to happen for Newcastle, but as it stands right now, has there actually been a more exciting time to be a Newcastle fan in the Premier League era? I think given... OK, I don't care about sharing my age. I'm 32 years old. So given the general age of any Newcastle fan my age, they would definitely say this is the greatest era to be a Newcastle fan. Because for me, I grew up in the entertainers era. I was like five, six years old. So to actually live it and breathe it is a whole nother thing. Because... There was no, I wouldn't even say there was ups and downs and peaks and troughs. There was just, there was nothing. Like, no Europe, we can't challenge for Europe. Um, we're unhappy for a very long time. Obviously, we don't even need to go into ownership issues and how unhappy we were there. But there was doom and gloom for a really prolonged period. And I was really hoping I'd get this talking point, actually, because I don't know if you remember, but the day of the takeover, I was booked to be on this podcast. <laughs> And I was so yeah, overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's just crazy. What a journey it's been since that day. 
as a fan, I don't, honestly, I don't think too much about the future and I try not to get too ahead of myself in terms of, you know, European football and all of that winning titles because I just want to enjoy every single game week. I feel like I deserve it and I feel like our fan base deserves it. I'm taking every single game week as it comes. And aside from those big signings, Bruno, Alexander Izak, Trippier, who was our first big buy. I think there's just something quite special about finding this form with Eddie Howe. I'll admit, for me, Eddie Howe was a good replacement for Steve Bruce. In the meantime, you know, big plans, big vision and strategy. And Eddie Howe, he came in at the right time. I just didn't anticipate the longevity of his role and the importance of it as well. I think since getting him on board, we could have... We could have gone for a big statement managerial signing. There were names flying about all over the shop. We have the money, but look at what he's uh, curated. The spine of our squad remains. His coaching has just formed a unit that's really getting the best out of the players, the players who are developing their game from the quality around them. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to... I'm acknowledging the new signings as well, but then look, you look at Joel Linton, he was criticised and doubted for months. Almiron, he was ridiculed even by other players in the Premier League, Jack Grealish for one, which I think was quite distasteful and unnecessary. But then there's the resurgence of Joe Willock, Sean Longstaff as well. I think five straight wins from a team that's just built on ambition and excitement and trust I guess you can just tell that the players trust how I just think it's a wonderful time I am unbearable these days especially around my fiance he's a Man United fan I'm like look I've been miserable for long enough so you better deal with this and our kids are gonna be Newcastle fans Uh, Well, there is some reason for Manchester United fans to be optimistic this weekend, uh, Ty. United love a teenage goal scorer. You think back to Giggs all the way through the 90s, then you had Rooney, Marcus Rashford, Cristiano Ronaldo, incredible players that have scored goals and torn teams to bits, wearing United red as a teenager. And there is a new name to add to the list this weekend, Alejandro Garnacho. 93 minutes on the clock at Craven Cottage and he pops up with the winner. We know bits and pieces about him. He has come into the team this season and United fans are really, really hoping that he can just burst into life and carry that potential into consistency. First ever Premier League goal this weekend, which won United the game at Craven Cottage. You will have watched a lot of him in your role, covering United, following United, the underage sides, through to the senior team. Just how good is he? We all have to be careful not to put too much pressure on a young player, but the signs look really, really exciting that he has got it. Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, he, he was very, very good in the Youth Cup last year. He looked then like a serious talent, but in the last month or so, he has looked absolutely exceptional. It, you know, he, he could go right to the very top. He looks that good already. He only turned 18 in July, and I think since since... The Sheriff game at the end of October, he's, he's come into the team, started three or four games, I think, come off the bench twice this week. In every game, he, he's been arguably the best player. The, he was excellent at Sociedad, especially first half when he got the goal there. He, he, was, he was decent at Villa when they lost, but that was a difficult performance overall. I think when he came on on um, Thursday night in the League Cup, it, it was a, an astonishing half an hour from him, really, the way he just propels that team forward his his directness his fearlessness when running with the ball it, it really does you know he he looks to have it all as a winger I think there was a bit of surprise he didn't start today I think already he's clearly better than Alanga 
to be honest, I think he's better than Sancho at the moment, the way he's playing and the way Sancho's playing. I think it's his emergence is very bad news for Jaden Sancho, but he just looks he looks to have something very, very special about him. It was a, a brilliant, brilliant goal today. The you know, the, the speed to drive in field, the getting his head up to pick out Ericsson. And then Ericsson's return ball, it, it never looked like Garnacho should get there, but the pace was phenomenal to get there. The finish was so cool and uh, a few people have said it already, but it was it was very reminiscent of an injury time winner. United scored there in 2007, I think, through to a very young Cristiano Ronaldo at the time. And that kind of propelled Ronaldo onto the world stage. And you feel like Garnacho is getting very close to that now. It's It's been a, a tricky season for him in a way. Um, he obviously had issues on tour. He never played on tour and was, was late for a couple of team meetings, which is why he didn't play. Ten Hag and Bruno Fernandes have called him out publicly over over that kind of lack of discipline, and it, it's clear there's concerns there about his his kind of attitude and his ego. And you can almost see it today with a celebration where he takes his shirt off and he's holding his name and number up. But he is 18 and, and he is that cut, and you can kind of understand it to be honest. And the way he's playing at the moment, he, he's getting very very hard for for Ten Hag to ignore. And, and like saying. In terms of that left wing role, I think Rashford's still going to be starting there every week. But Garnacho is your first sub, but at the very least, and he 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 looks a really really special talent on recent evidence. Uh, before we break, I want to just grab Isha your take on Fulham because it's a frustrating end to the first term of, of Premier League football this season for them. Second weekend in a row that they've conceded a late goal to a team from Manchester. Erling Haaland's penalty at the Etihad last week frustrated Marco Silva. So they've only got one point from their last three back-to-back Premier League defeats. But it it probably doesn't really tell the tale of the tape in terms of their season. They've come up from the championship. They did spend money, but Marco Silva's been a bit more pragmatic than previous Fulham managers. They're ninth in the table after 15 games, 19 points on the board. This is a bit of a black mark against their name going into the break, but based on the way that they have performed so far this season, there's probably more reason to be optimistic than be pessimistic. Oh, for sure. And look, they've only lost... I think this loss was the the second time at home this season. I think they were quite hard done by today. They're a very decent team and their results have shown this season so far. They were unlucky today. I think they could have drawn, but the season's not decided by a few unlucky results. They're good enough to stay up, in my opinion. This team, I think they have the fight to do that. They're very well coached. Tough loss, but... They're a proper Fulham side. There would there should be no relegation fight for them. I think they'll comfortably finish around 11th or 12th. I think they've been really good so far and they'll continue. Yeah, they have been really, really positive. But it's just disappointing going into the break and going into Christmas on the back of two results. But the Premier League is a tough beast. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. After the break, five more Premier League games to get stuck into. No draws. Everything has been laid out on the table in the final weekend of Premier League football before the World Cup kicks off and lots to talk about three points for Liverpool at Anfield and wins for Nottingham Forest Tottenham Leicester and Unai Emery's Aston Villa so all that to come after the break Football's Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. The World Cup is just around the corner, but the Premier League has delivered a brilliant final weekend before hitting the pause button on the 2022-23 season. We're going to wrap up the final five Premier League games this weekend. Five wins, which means five delighted managers going into the break and five managers possibly under a little bit of pressure. Ty, we're going to go to Anfield first. Liverpool at home to Southampton. Nathan Jones' debut as Saints boss and it didn't go well. They did score which is the first time they've scored in five trips to Anfield in the Premier League. But Roberto Firmino and a brace from Darwin Nunez meant three points for the home side. Now, the World Cup and the demand that places on a squad is massive. Liverpool sneakily do not have that many players going to the World Cup. Seven or eight, depending on the final call-ups in the next few days, is the estimated number. They go into the break in sixth, They've played a game less than most of the teams above them. Given the fact that so many important players, Salah, Thiago, they're going to have a break, an actual break in the middle of the season. Can Liverpool come back like a storm in 2023? So I, I think they'll certainly come back like a strong wind. Um I think they'll. I think <laughs> that's an excellent weather report. That was very, you know, don't get too excited. Yeah. A strong wind. Okay. A, a storm might might be overstating it, but I do think the World Cup plays their advantage for for a couple of reasons, really. Like you say, the fact that they, considering the squad they've got, they don't actually have a lot of players there. That will help with the rest and in terms of of training. I think they're one of the clubs going abroad for a training camp, and just having that many first team players available is going to be beneficial. And I think. The other thing is, in this case, even for those going to the World Cup, just the the the, the, the opportunity to get away from there, to get away from that environment, to, to switch off from thinking about Liverpool. The season's clearly not gone as they would hoped. There's been some real difficult times. Just that chance to go away for four weeks and, and do something different, basically, and not think about it, I think that will, will benefit them. And I think I've always had to mark down, since their struggles as a team, who we're who are really going to benefit from this period. And I think there's two reasons there why why they will come back. I think they're seven points or something like that, six or seven points off of fourth at the moment. I think that's that's easily reelable in, so to speak. There's still 20, 20, I think they've played 14, so maybe 24 games left. There's there's a long, long way to go in that season. And I think they will, I think they will still be very, very confident at finishing fourth. And I do think the next six weeks could could have come at a very good time for them. Uh, we're going to move on to Spurs against Leeds, Isha. And this one absolutely guaranteed goals ahead of kickoff, and it did not fail to deliver. Seven goals in total, but the most important aspect is three points going to Spurs. Rodrigo Bentancourt's late brace, meaning that it was a win for the home side. And neither of these teams are particularly good at keeping the ball out of the back of the net. Spurs have only got two home Premier League clean sheets so far this season. And Jesse Marsh's policy even though things have been a bit more positive in recent weeks, has been to just outscore the opposition and hope for the best. They won 4-3 at Anfield. Uh, sorry, they won 2-1 at Anfield. They won 4-3 at home to Bournemouth. But you look at the games either side of that, they concede a lot of goals and just bank on the fact that the forward players they've got can dig them out of this. Because of that situation, for different reasons, Antonio Conte and Marsh both go into the break under a bit of pressure. Conte, because we know that he is quite a volatile coach. He's prepared to walk away if he doesn't feel that he's being backed or being supported. And Jesse March, despite the fact that he got those two big results, 
is still not really able to keep Leeds steady. This is interesting for the neutral to watch because there's goals flying in all the time. But given the fact that Leeds are probably going to be mid-table, maybe getting dragged into a relegation battle, they, they cannot afford to be conceding this amount of goals. They can't. And I think as for Marsh, I mean, for me, uh, yeah, Leeds backline, it lacks discipline and coordination. I think it is reflecting on Marsh as a coach. And even though it's been a problem since Bielsa, we know that. I think in January, Marsh just has to put together a balanced defence and search long and hard when the transfer market, uh, on the transfer window opens. I think he needs a leader in his defence that can just organise that backline. And it will just ease off the pressure as he he gets as a manager we know they can score goals we know it's exciting for us neutrals to watch I would hate to be a Leeds fan actually it must be really really stressful I think in terms of Spurs yeah for sure you can always sense that pressure in Conte's post-match interviews I think Spurs do need a lot of investment I think if you compare Spurs' technical quality from the rest of the top six, they're so far behind. Conte has a lot of work to do to improve. I think they need reinforcements, of course, in their defence. Their defenders can't play out from the back. Their fullbacks don't add much in attack, apart from Perisic, obviously. I think Dyer is a solid defender, but his instincts are just a little bit too slow for the fast-paced football that Spurs and Conte require. Romero, he's strong and agile, but he's injury-prone. It's just, yeah, a bit unsettling. But look, January's around the corner, and I think Conte will feel the pressure more than anyone. Marsh is just there to sort of sort out that backline once and for all, because we've seen those issues since Bielsa was there. Uh, from a manager under pressure to a man or two managers under pressure to a manager that can definitely enjoy his Christmas dinner. Brendan Rodgers has survived the storm at Leicester tie and whatever the reasons behind him keeping his job, whether they couldn't sack him, wouldn't sack him, he wouldn't go, whatever has transpired, Leicester's faith, shall we say, in, in Brendan Rodgers has reaped rewards as we go into the World Cup slash Christmas break because other than Newcastle and Arsenal, nobody is in better form than Leicester right now. Four Premier League wins from five. The only one that they've lost to was Manchester City. And I'm kind of joking about the reasons for why he's still at Leicester, but the, the facts are that he is. He's still in charge. And Leicester are still, still a very good team. James Madison getting a goal yesterday. He's been called up to the England squad. They've still got lots and lots of talent in that team that teams around them in the table probably don't have. And this is maybe just reward for holding your nerve, not panicking, keeping a capable manager, keeping a united front in terms of the team that other teams around them in the table could maybe learn from. Yeah, I think so. Uh, not many managers survive when they concede. I think they concede five at Brighton and then six at Tottenham in the space of two games. And it is fairly rare to survive that. But the other thing to remember is that he is an exceptional manager. I think he's still very, very underrated as as a manager. The job he's done at Leicester's fantastic. Obviously, they fell away a bit last season after two fifth-place finishes. But they had an, an incredible injury record last season. And I still think he did a pretty good job, all things considered, to have got them back in it this season when they they spent so little money in the summer. I think they made one signing and that was essentially a, a replacement for Fafana and what was clearly, as good as Woot Face has been, clearly an inferior player at the moment, but he has got them going again, got them playing good football again. I think he deserves an awful lot of credit and like I say, whatever the reasons for sticking with him, I think 
one of the one of the biggest was that they did have a very very good manager, and if you'd have sacked him at that point, I think they were bottom of the league at, at that point after those defeats. If you'd have sacked him then for a club who had clearly got a few financial issues, a few FFP concerns, who haven't got a lot of money to spend, I don't believe there's a better manager than Brendan Rodgers out there to come in. And yes, they were having a tough time, but you've got to think that you, you do know that you've got a very good manager and things looked a little stale at that point. That's the one concern, but they did hold their nerve and I think they've got, they, they have probably got the best manager they can have at the moment and, and he is proving that again and you know I still think he's a he's a very underrated Premier League manager and he has done a good job to recover from from the start they had because like I say not not a lot of managers survive that uh, another manager who can probably relax over their their Christmas dinner and over the World Cup break Isha is Steve Cooper Nottingham Forest going into the break on the back of a, a pretty solid run eight points from the last five Premier League games and they've beaten Tottenham in the Carabao Cup in midweek he was also under pressure. The club made that big statement by coming out and giving him a contract extension, effectively saying, we're not going to listen to the noise. We're going to stick by the manager. That might change in 2023. We know that the ownership are not frightened to sack managers if they're not happy with the performance. But he can at least now have a bit of breathing space. And all these stories of all the players they brought in over the summer, he now has a block of time to work with them. And we know he's got a huge amount of players, so it might be extra training sessions. But... He can breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. He knows that he's probably not going to be dispensed with before they come back into Premier League action. And that could be just what Forrest need to dig themselves out of the situation and power up the table. For sure. I did think that Steve Cooper signing with them would just settle the team down. And it seems that fans back him and he has been rewarded. The atmosphere at City Ground looks brilliant. Promotion is one thing, obviously. Maybe Cooper is the man to just keep them in the top flight. He seems to instill this sort of big club mentality with them. And it's no wonder his contract was renewed recently. I did read a Nottingham Forest fan say that he's the most intelligent coach that they've had since Brian Clough. Big statement. And I think it's not just promotion, it's the values and the mental attitude, which is really important to many Nottingham Forest fans. I think it would be impressive if Nottingham Forest survived relegation with a new squad of 23 new players, only a handful of them have Premier League experience and it's with a manager with no Premier League experience I think it'll be an interesting run for them after the international break but I'm pretty hopeful for them to stay up to be fair Final game of the weekend Brighton 1, Aston Villa 2 tie, Brighton's fastest ever Premier League goal from Alexis McAllister wasn't enough to get 3 points on the South Coast, a Danny Ings double means a win for Unai Emery on the road, he's on this list of new managers coming in, Julian Lopetegui has joined him in swapping La Liga through choice or circumstance for the English Premier League for this season we know he's a very capable manager I can be very honest and say that I think he was given a really hard time at Arsenal. He's got a proven CV in terms of his results in Spain and in France and in European competitions. What do you think he's going to do differently to Steven Gerrard? Because similarly to his former England teammate, Frank Lampard, things were very sour towards the end. The fans clearly wanted him out. Unai Emery has come in. He's more assured. He's more experienced than Gerrard. But what can he do differently? He's not going to tear up the squad. They might bring in one or two new faces in January, but he's not going to absolutely overhaul what Gerard had. But he looks capable of doing much better because he's got a better plan. 
Yeah, I think one of the things you touched on there is that experience and especially the experience tactically. And, and Gerard is, is clearly still going to be learning tactically. Emery is not. We know he's a great tactician. The, the results he's got in Europe especially and, and that he got in Europe with Villarreal over the last couple of years show how good he is tactically, how capable he is of coming up with different plans, winning the Europa League, reaching the Champions League semi-finals. And he's... He, he, a bit like Rogers, he's an underrated manager. You look at that job he's done with Villarreal in terms of European results, pretty solid with Arsenal. He, he probably thought he'd get a better job than Villa, with all due respect to Villa, but here he is. And I think what, one of the things I thought he'd do is kind of make them a bit a bit more dour, but the, his first three games have been very entertaining. Watches a 3-1 win against United, that 4-2 League Cup loss, and now this 2-1 win, and... It, it, it surprised me in a way because I thought he would make them a little bit more, like I say, a little bit more dour, a little bit more tactical. Um, he clearly likes this this four four two that that he plays quite a lot, certainly in possession or out of possession rather. And they've got the players for that with Watkins and Ings when he plays them together. So it has been it has been a, a big start. And he's the, I, one big difference I think from Gerard is that he's not he's not under the same pressure to get something out of Coutinho. It, it, it felt like Gerard staked his reputation basically on Coutinho and when Coutinho's performances started to drop, it, it was always going to have a knock-on effect with Gerard. Um, Emery's not in that position. He doesn't owe Coutinho anything. He doesn't have to play him. He might be able to get performances out of him when he's when he's fit. I don't think he's played for him yet at all and he's been in the squad, but maybe he will be able to get those performances, but he, you know he doesn't need to. He's not, he's not associated with that. It's kind of a clean start from from that summer and from everything that Gerard did with regards to the way he went about taking the captaincy off Tyrone Mings and and the Coutinho signing and that kind of thing. So it's a bit of a clean slate. He's he's a better tactician, a more experienced tactician. And I think that, that will probably be the biggest benefit to Villa. Before we call it a day, the World Cup just around the corner. Ty, I'll give you a quick minute to have a think. In uh, less than a week's time, the World Cup will have started. So Isha, give us your pick. We'll go with two selections. We'll go with... Pick to win and surprise package. So, Isha, we'll go with you first. Pick to win the World Cup and your surprise package. Ooh, win. Do you know what? I think England could win it. Does that sound crazy to even say? I actually think they could. No, not, I don't no, know no, why. I think so, no. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think. I worked on the Euros and I remember thinking, hold on. Well, anything, expect the unexpected. You never really know. Surprise package. Let's see. Well, it wouldn't be a surprise as such, but I, I don't know. I have a funny feeling about Croatia. Okay. In going to quarters, Making semis. it really far. Yeah, semis. Okay, so semis for quarters. Semis for quarters. Semis for Croatia and England to go all the way. Ty, yeah. give, us, uh, give us your picks. Uh I'm finding it hard to look beyond Brazil to win it. To be honest, um, I think they've just got the they've got the best squad. There seems to be a lot of question marks over all of the European teams. They've all they've all been in in pretty questionable form recently. The, the only slight concern is obviously that it's 20 years since a, a non-European team won it. But the conditions would suit Brazil. They've just got a phenomenal squad. They've got a very experienced manager who's been there a long time, and I think they're going to be very hard to stop. Um, in terms of a surprise package, I I think Holland might do best of all the European teams. I wouldn't be surprised if if they made a pretty deep run. And maybe in England's group, the USA, I, I think they're maybe going a bit under the radar. They've got a very 
a very good squad. They've got a lot of European experience now, and it, I can see them getting out of that group, whether it's instead of Wales or England, we shall see. But if they do get out of the group, I think you know, I think they could be a surprise package and maybe even sneak to the quarterfinals because they've got a, a pretty underrated squad, I think. I was going to go for Brazil, but I'm going to stick with my uh, original hunch and I'm going to go for Argentina. I just want there to be a situation where Lionel Messi can just just close the book on yeah. any sort of debate and any sort of argument just for him to uh, to do it. I think Brazil will be right there, but I think and I want it to be Argentina, primarily for Messi, just so that we can uh, put a lid on uh, on that particular debate. Uh, surprise package, I'm going to go for Senegal. I know they're not wildly surprising, they're defending uh, Africa Cup of Nations champions, but I just think Mane being fit, he's been brilliant for Bayern Munich. They'll find it tough in Group A, the Netherlands are a good side, they won't have too much of an issue with Ecuador and Qatar, and Mane is brilliant and he just think he looks hungry for it you see how well he performed to get them that title uh, earlier on this year uh, sorry last year in, in 2021 so I think Senegal quarters at least that's my uh, that's my wild card pick uh, but we're gonna have to wait and see uh, it's gonna be a cracker of a World Cup all to come in the next few weeks but for the Premier League and for tonight's edition of the Football Social Daily that is a wrap Isha Ty as always thank you for your time thanks for having me Thank you very much and have a good Christmas. Wow, Christmas. I hadn't even thought of Christmas. Let's, let's get the World Cup out of the way first and then, and then we can think of, uh, of turkey and sprouts and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it feels very strange to be saying, doesn't it? It all feels very strange and it is very strange in the world of football at the moment. But uh, here at the Football Social Daily, we're going to be doing things a little bit different during the World Cup. A winter World Cup means a few changes. We will be doing podcasts surrounding World Cup content, not as regular as we do during the normal domestic season, but... Never fear, we will have you absolutely covered, particularly if Isha's prediction is correct and England go all the way. So, as always, don't forget to hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. The Premier League signing off for its break as Qatar comes into full focus. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.